here. There's something amazing about engines. Um, I mean, when you think about it, an engine is really just a big pile of opportunity. Um, it's really just a cluster of various metal and plastics and containing some processed liquid petroleums in it. Um, but that pile of opportunity, if it's un- unignited, it is just totally useless. I mean, it is just a giant doorstop. But when uh, you ignite an engine like that, it is like bam, and you have something. And that engine can produce in a way that it was designed to produce. But without the, ignite, without the being ignited, without the spark, it's useless. We're in Acts chapter 2. And uh, Acts really is the story of God's people ignited by God's power. It's just a delightful, amazing, glorious thing. And if you think about it, people are a created mass of opportunity, created by God with the opportunity to bring glory to God. But because of sin, um, no glory for God. But God came and did a work, and God can ignite it, and we can become opportunities for God's glory the way we're designed to be. Before we jump into Acts 2, let's pray. Lord God, you are to be adored. You've created all things. Psalm 139 tells us the intimacy of your creation of every person in this room and outside of this room. Just lives of opportunities for your glory. But sin has derailed it. But you have re-railed it. And we thank you for that. Father, today as we go through Acts chapter 2, and frankly a very different way than maybe uh, people have ever gone through it before, I just really pray, my goal today, Lord, is that we would just see it and think on it today. Because this changes everything. And may we not see you too small. May we not see you as just some cute little theology package that we're able to manage in our mind. But may we see you as the creator and the igniter. Because you are. God, rev us up, crank us out, start our engines. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some people coming around with a Bible. Um, We're big about the Bible around here, 
and uh, we look in it deeply, as Pastor Al talked about. There's a difference between talking about the Bible and digging into the Bible, and so we want to have a Bible on your lap. Acts chapter 2, you there? Hey, a couple things before we start digging in on Acts chapter 2. Number one, Acts chapter 2 is a pivotal chapter in Scripture, pivotal. Maybe you could use the word transitional, but it's pivotal. It is one of the most pivotal chapters in all of the Bible. Here's a few other chapters that are really pivotal. Genesis 1, that would be a good one. Uh, uh, I mean, creation takes place. Another one, Genesis 6, recreation, Noah after the flood. Here's another one, Genesis 12 and following with Abraham in the covenant. Then we can all the way jump into, say, Exodus. We get into Exodus 3 and God pulling Moses into the picture here. I can't talk. I don't want to do this. I'm scared to death. So can relate to that. That's pivotal because later on in Exodus chapter 12, God's people, Hebrew slaves are taken out. 1 Samuel 16 would be pivotal with, with David. Another one, let's just jump ahead. John chapter 1. We just went through a series on the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's pivotal. And then let's just go to the end of the story. Revelation 21. There will be no more tears. That's pivotal. Won't that be sweet? But Acts chapter 2 is that kind of a pivotal passage. In fact, if you think of Acts chapter 2, before you have the Old Testament, you then have 400 years of silence from God with his people. Then you have John the baptizer comes on the scene. Then Jesus Christ comes on the scene. The 12 disciples come on the scene. Three years come on the scene. Then the cross comes on the scene. The resurrection comes on the scene. And then you have 120 followers of Christ. I mean, God's ministry, Christ's ministry was so effective that he had 120 followers by that time. Um, but then after Acts 2, the world is rocked. What happened? Acts chapter 2. It's pivotal. Anytime something is pivotal like this, as a text like this, it's also theological. Uh, anytime changes happen in God's plan and God's administration, uh, uh, theology is right there in it. In fact, I know some of you are like, Acts chapter 2, awesome! The Holy Spirit, the whole tongue freakiness thing. And then you got Peter speaking out of the Old Testament. And what's with that? And, and how did he use the Old Testament? And then you've got the end, like the last six verses of chapter 2. What's the deal with that Christian hippie commune thing going on? It's true. And listen, I know a lot of you are like drooling and it's like, oh, I can't wait for this. And I will tell you normally, if we were going through this to try and squeeze this for what we could squeeze it out of, we would cover Acts chapter two in three Sundays because there's so much there. But guess how many we're spending? One. Uno, baby. Okay, so we're gonna spend one. It's like, Doug, so what's the deal with that? Hey, here's, let me kind of put it this way. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the pieces that we lose the big reality picture. We get stuck on the carburetor, the manifold, or we get stuck with here or the piston. And we get so ingrained in that that we forget the whole reality of what's taking place here. So we're going to see the picture because friends, I think it is so awesome to watch what comes after the first verses in Acts chapter two. God changes everything and a lot of times we get caught up in some of the others. So another day, we'll come back and we'll deal with the various pieces. But today, big picture, okay? You with me? 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Here we go, Acts chapter 2, a pivotal theological chapter, verses 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Let's pause there for a couple here. First is Pentecost, 50th. Uh, what is Pentecost? Uh, Pentecost was actually put in place far before Acts chapter 2. It's a feast. You can go to Leviticus 23, and you can take a look at all the feasts that happen. It's the feast that's held 50 days from the first Sunday after Passover, uh, 50 days from Easter, okay? It's sometimes called the Feast of Weeks or the Day of the First Fruits. But this is what Pentecost is. That's a big deal because people from all over have come. We'll see in just a second. Secondly, with this, it says they were all together. Who's the they? Well, it could be the 12 disciples. We were at 12, then we went to 11. Now we're back to 12 because of Matthias last week we saw. So we have 12 apostles. It could have been them, but I think it's more likely in chapter 1, verse 15, it talks about 120. I think this is much more likely that there's 120 followers of Christ at this time is the they. They're all together. And notice it says in one place. In fact, in verse 2, it says a house. The word is oikon. And there's a question on it. Where is that? Well, uh, probably most likely it's in the upper room where they had been meeting before. Uh, and, and, and that follows through. It makes some sense with the use of the word actually later on in chapter two and so forth. But the word can also be used. I think Acts chapter seven, verse 47 uses the exact same word to refer to Solomon built a house for God. It's kind of like this. We're going to the house. Uh, that could be the temple referred to. And there are some different viewpoints on this. If we were spending more time on it, I would spend more time on it. <laughs> Because it's really intriguing how did things functionally flow. I'm just going to say at this point, I'm going to kind of take the view that they were likely right at this point meeting in the upper room. And there's about 120 of them, pretty big room, uh, but all together. But I will also say this shortly, we're going to see that thousands are involved in this. That could not have happened in the upper room. So if they start here in the upper room, here shortly they transition over into the temple area or all of this starts in the temple area, okay? Let's keep on going. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in what, how many places? One place and suddenly, like bam, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues uh, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, one thing is, is the Holy Spirit is not new to the Bible here. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has been all throughout Scripture. I think we see the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. We see him all throughout the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit is kind of like a come in, come out reality of what's taking place over scripture. We even clearly, we studied through John, saw the Trinity, including the Holy Spirit, involved in the life and the ministry of Christ. Uh, but something significantly ha significant happens here. He's not just coming upon people anymore, but he's dwelling in them. This is a permanent indwelling in people. It says, all we're filled with. This is a big deal. So here's the events. 120 are together. Chapter one, the one word from last week was waiting. 
What are they doing? Waiting. That's exciting, isn't it? Hey, what are you doing? I'm waiting. And that's what they were doing. Chapter one, they're waiting. And so all of a sudden, bam, there's this audible noise, the audible noise of a phone call, God calling. No, no, just, and so all of a sudden, there's this audible noise that's taking place in this. That was perfect timing, by the way. And, and in this, look, look what happens here. This is really neat because as you look at this, it's surprisingly, the, the way the, flow, the text flows, it has this idea of they weren't expecting this to happen. It's just, bam, all of a sudden. It, they didn't know what time. They didn't know even what day. They just knew they were going to wait. And the text chapter one says, in days. And all of a sudden, this sound happens, this violent wind sound, and it fills the house where they're all gathered. By the way, this is not, from everything you can see here, this is not a feel the wind in your face. This is just the sound. But no movement of air. Why is that a big deal? Because that's not normal. That is the divine thing. This is a divine event that's happening outside of normal physical experience that we know of. Secondly, all of a sudden, bam, there's this visual thing that takes place. These tongues dividing as of fire. It's important there because they're trying to describe this. Luke is describing it's like tongues, not tongues, but like tongues and like tongues of fire. That's important again, because who's seen that? Again, this is a divine, miraculous event. Something big is taking place here. It's audible, it's visual, and third, it's personal. The tongues as a fire rested on each of them. There's this uniform, sovereign work of God on all of them collectively. They weren't seeking it out individually, and they weren't expecting this to happen. It just, bam, took place and comes out, and on each of them. That's so cool. God is so individual and yet so corporate at the same time. And look at the result. The result is verbal. They speak in other tongues. A question, was it a spiritual ecstatic speech? Or was it a known language? The fact of the matter is right now we don't know from what we've read so far. We just know this. They're able to speak in other, as it says, tongues. We'll get there. And it says, as the Spirit gave them. There was no class on it. There was no coaching in it. It was immediate. It was a God-ignited ability. And for what purpose? Hold on, we'll get there. I just have a question here. Kind of a student of the Bible kind of question. Does the text so far say, tell us so far in these first verses that the whole wind experience, the sound of wind experience, the tongues of fire experience, the speaking experience should happen today? Does it so far say that? No, it doesn't. No, I'm not. I'm just saying so far it hasn't said that. I bring that up for this reason. A a lot of uh, things come out of a bad understanding of narrative. We're in a narrative. Narrative tells of events that took place. A narrative is the kind of genre of literature that describes something and doesn't always prescribe something. What's happening here is it's telling about an event and events that happened at this period of time. Uh, Just because the Bible says something happened at some point in time does not necessarily mean that it's supposed to happen today. 
That's just as you understand narrative when you're reading it. Just be careful as a student of God's word in it. Narrative is telling what happened. Uh, So here's the sum. Sound of wind happens. These uh, fire tongues divide and rest. It fills on them all. And they're speaking here in these tongues. Let's go to verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout, devout men from every nation under heaven. Hey, let's pause here. Hey, do you see like a little bit of a change? It's like Luke is describing the event and now he's going, now let me set some more of the stage. And that's what's happening here. Now understand out of this that as he's talking here, he's giving this idea that this is a very Jewish event. In other words, the nations are there. We're going to see in just a second. But the nations are there represented by Jews or Gentiles that have converted to Judaism. Why are they all there at this point in time? It's because there's a feast of Pentecost going on. This is a big event and people from all over are coming to the area there. And this is a Jewish event with people dwelling in Jerusalem. Uh, Verse six, and at this, at this sound, the multitude came together. This is the part of the thing I just don't have time to. It's like they heard the sound too. And notice they didn't feel the wind. They heard the sound. If it was in the temple grounds, that would make sense because the temple grounds is huge. But if it was in the house, how did they hear? I'm just going to lay it. I don't think we've thought through real well sometimes how this event actually took place. If that happened over in the upper room, I'm just going to tell you, there's no way this multitude could fit in the upper room because there's thousands. Somehow, this event has kind of transitioned, moved. If it started in the upper room, it's moved over into the temple area to be able to have this happen. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So the sound hits. The multitudes gather, and they're in the, they have to be in the temple area here. I think pretty much every commentary and person agrees on this. And you can see on the screen the representation of the temple area. And kind of over here is like a computer graphic of over in these areas, kind of these porticos, these, these over uh, hallway, open hallway areas. This is a common, this is a huge place that people would gather. And so what this was happening is now we're over. Luke is talking about what's happening in this area. And so all the, the, the people are gathering together around this. There's thousands that are there and they're stunned that they're hearing their own language. Now, every one of these folks is a good Jew would know Aramaic or uh, the language of the day kind of stuff, but yet they also had their own language from where they were at. Uh, So in fact, here in a minute, we're going to see Peter when Peter speaks he speaks in the language that everybody understood. So they all understood one language, but then they're there and they hear all these people. And let me kind of put it this way. The city folk, them, all of a sudden heard the country folk talking their language. I'm just so, I think those of you who have been around here, I'm so curious about how some of these details happen. I just can't get into it too much here because I don't know exactly how all these events happen. But they're all around there, and yet these 120 are around. And is this like an organized proclamation process to wherever? That's sometimes how I've thought about it. But as I've spent more time with this, I think it's the kind of thing, all of a sudden, at the sound of the wind, uh, these people are coming around, and then these, the 120 are speaking in languages that others can 
can hear. And everybody's just hearing this thing. And it's almost like all these people are kind of on the outside of this, just stunned by what's going on. I don't think this is so much of a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade right at this moment. In fact, let's uh, keep looking in the text. Verse 8, and how is it that we hear each of us our own native language? Here's all the places. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites. The Elams are in here. Woo! The Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia. Uh, I want to be from that place. Uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. A lot of places, agreed? All over, and these are Jews or Jewish converts, verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. <laughs> you got it. Uh, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's my favorite part in this whole text. What are they declaring? The mighty works of God. That's what they're declaring. Isn't that awesome? I mean, here are these people. Uh, are they giving the four spiritual laws or the bridge illustration? I don't know. That, that declares the mighty works of God, redemption, the gospel salvation story, true. But I think this is, frankly, this is just, I think this is far more than this. I think these are people who are over here in language that they didn't grow up with and learn. They are speaking in language of just declaring the works and the deeds of God. And everybody around them is hearing it in their own language and going, they're declaring the deeds and the works of God. In my own language, what in the world's going on here? You know, there's a component of this where I go, this should be happening every Sunday here. I mean, people who come in the door and who maybe have had no church background or trying to figure things out or, or, or are doubtful about what the scriptures have to say or about God or about Jesus, and yet they watch God's people declaring and singing and studying and enjoying and savoring the word and the works and the deeds of God, and they're like, wow, what's with that? True? Oh, man, that's what should be happening among God's people. In fact, look at verse 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they were filled with new wine. Hey, listen, when the word of God is proclaimed, there are people who are like, I'm interested. And there are people who are like fools, fools but be encouraged the scriptures tell us that even to the unbelieving god's words come across as foolishness it was happening there it'll happen today but declare the works and the deeds of god one word describing verses 1 through 13 Ignited, just ignited. Something's happening. Would we not agree here? Something big is really taking place here with God's people. God is doing a work among his people that is unlike what has ever happened so far in redemptive history. 
And as we look at this, we just go, this is so awesome. Yet, friends, it doesn't stop here. What I want to do is I want first to read through the rest of Acts chapter 2, kind of get an idea of what happened. What came out of this? Because not only is Acts chapter 2 pivotal, not only is Acts chapter 2 theological, but Acts chapter 2 is practical. We see lives change. And in fact, here right now, we're going to see one, Peter. Peter ignited to proclaim. Now, here's a foot-in-the-mouth guy, but watch this. Watch this. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. On that with the Sabbath reality and the whole Pentecost feast thing, people, uh, a committed follower of Judaism at the time would not even have eaten yet by 9 a.m. or drank by 9 a.m. just in the following of the customs. So that's part of why Peter's like, come on, guys, this is not the deal. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's going to the Old Testament. And in the last last day it shall be god declares that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit now, by the way does it say trickle out or, or kind of like dabble out what, what's the word yeah drenched Pile it on, the whole full uh, canister of it. Pour it out, all of it, none left back, none held back, all poured out. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, verse 19, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember again, he's out here on the temple grounds declaring this. What a cool looking sight. Verse 22, men of Israel. By the way, look at verse 29. Brothers, look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel. Again, this is a very Jewish event. Oh, Acts chapter one, verse eight, therefore. Uh, Jerusalem, start there. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Hey, that was the whole purpose statement of the whole gospel of John that we just went through. That you would be able to see Jesus do the miracles and the signs and know for sure that this one is the Messiah. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. (laughs) Ouch. Uh, Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held in by it. For David now says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ and that he was not abandoned to Hades or did his, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised from the dead and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's what's going on you guys. For David did not ascend into the heavens but he himself says the Lord said to the Lord. I'm sorry. Yeah, that would have been kind of funny. The Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Conviction. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, repent, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Everyone whom the Lord, our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day. How many souls? I mean, here is Peter proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can follow the text through. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ was crucified, risen from the dead, conquering sin and death. All of it was planned by the Father, prophesied by God's people. And those who repent of their sinful condition before God are redeemed, are forgiven, are filled, and are to be baptized. Is that you? Same message is declared today. Do you know this story? Is this story known in your life? Has there been a time where you've heard the gospel truth of it? The fact that we're all sinners separated from God, but God, Ephesians chapter two, verse four, but God came and did a work. And then that comes to a place where you not only hear it and it's not a knowledge thing, but it's a conviction. They were cut to the heart. It's like, what do I do about that? And come to the place where the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that? Have you driven the stake in the ground with Christ? If you haven't, that's where you need to plant your mind. Where am I at? What do I need to do? But something else stands out here. And it's Peter. Dude, what happened with you? Do you remember in John 13 when we were going through John? Jesus there getting ready. I don't know where that came from. Jesus there washing the feet. And Peter's like, not my feet. 
He's like, dude, you don't get it, do you? Answer? Then, <laughs> a little bit later, he's like, uh, I would never deny you. And Jesus is like, mm, well. And then you remember later on, the servant girl asks, hey, were you with him? No, no. No, you were one of the disciples. Nope, not me. Hey, dude, you were one of the disciples. No, cock a doodle do. And then in John 19, at the cross, question, where was Peter? I'm just, where was Peter? And then when they come back, uh, we did Luke 24, the Sunday before Good Friday. And we Luke 24, and, and, and the, the women come back, and it's like, he's risen. And, and the disciples, the text told us, the disciples say, <laughs> ladies, don't tell us an idle tale. Don't dupe us. Don't play with me now. Oh, that was Peter was in there as well. And then he started getting some things, and they started getting some things. But I just want to say, Look at this boy now. On the temple grounds, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming it out to thousands of people. Where did that come from? Um, yeah. From the Holy Spirit. The rest of Acts here, we're going to start seeing all of these people. And we're going to see it in here in a little bit as well. We're going to see all these people. It's like, oh my word, what happened to you? It all comes back to the wind. To the tongues of fire. To the settling on. And the spirit of God permanently dwelling in his children. That's where this comes from. Let's not make this a Peter. You are awesome. Or let's not make a practical application out of this. If you receive Christ, uh, you are in, at the time of salvation, you are indwelt with the spirit of God. You can become like Peter. That's not the application out of this. The application out of this is like, God can do that. through. That's right, through us. Isn't it? I mean, how cool is that, friends? God can do that through us. Do we really believe that? I just want to ask again and for you to think. Do we really believe that? You are known by your deeds. Real question is, are you and I doing that? Are you and I proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, I remember if I'm more correct on some of our pillars that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. And we proclaim the word boldly. I love what the Lord has done with Peter. Blesses our Peter has turned into a man for the Lord. Let me kind of put it this way. It's kind of as though uh, Peter was that engine of opportunity that now at the time of the spirit coming, he's firing on all cylinders. 
Zoom, zoom. How many people came to Christ? Wow. By the way, I don't think God is so anti-big church. Verse 42 to 47. Now we move to all about God's people ignited. Here, Peter was ignited. By the way, you see the bus on the screen? No kidding, that is a Ferrari bus. Is that not like the coolest thing ever? I want all of us to go to Harvest You in that bus. You see, but the reason I brought that image is because the kind of the, you know, the race car thing, I'm just trying to get us visually in our heads. It's not about a single driver and a single car. This is about a busload of God's people kicking it out. Look at this. Watch this. Watch these people. Verse 42. And they, by the way, I've got written right above they, the number 3,120. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sweet. This is so sweet. I read that and I look at that. I mean, these are people. Jesus Christ has now ascended. He's gone. And it's like, you look at these people before that took place. And I say the same thing. What happened to you blessed people? Acts chapter two in the spirit of God. They were like this before, not nearly to this extent. I'm telling you, this is just glorious. And I read this and I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be a part of a people like that. A people devoted to being taught the God's word, devoted to fellowship with God's people, the breaking of bread and prayer, devoted in that together. A people living in the awe of God together. A people seeing God show himself big. Oh, by the way, in the text, who's doing the signs and the wonders? Verse 43. I'll just note, the apostles, not everybody. Every so often I got to throw in a little theology thing to think about. A people seeing God show himself big. 
And it's a people together having all things in common. Look at verse 44 and 45. There they are selling their possessions as needed to care for those brothers and sisters that are in need. Please understand, this is not, quote, communism. Everybody was not putting all their money in the exact same pool, and then they all got the same salary. That's not what was happening here. There's, we don't have time to get into all the aspects of it, but part of what's being focused on right here is this aspect is as people, as the believers saw that other people were in need, I'm like, I'm in on that game. I'm in on that. I want to be a part of that. Where did that thing come from? Uh, the spirit of God. We don't see this stuff happening before. That's so much what I want to bring out today. And, and there they are doing uh, the big church thing together in a place. 3,120. And every day they're going to the temple area. Oh, by the way, they're also going to homes. Uh, sounds like small groups to me. And they're praising God. That's what's taking place. They're praising God. And then verse 41 and 47, more people are being redeemed and they're growing numerically. And again, I just want to toss out there. I'm not trying to cause a fight or anything, but I just want to toss out there. Sometimes today I hear people talk, you know, like big church is bad church. But be careful. This is a big church. In fact, in our terminology today, this would be a mega church. And I just want to say, could God do that through us? The goal is not to become. The goal is to do Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. The whole world. Let's hit it all, baby. I wish every gospel teaching church on the west side of Indianapolis was 10 times its size right now. I mean, let's bring it. Let's take it to the table. That's what's happening. The spirit of God is not like, oh, we'll give you one and we'll give you two. That way you can have really nice buddy palsies and then you can all be good buddies and, and do that together. It's like, no, there's a bigger deal involved. That's part of it. But there's a goal involved in this all. Reach the world. And here they are, everyday meeting in a temple. I'm just telling you, friends, I can't wait till we have a building to be able to allow us to be more effective in ministry on the whole. Building isn't bad, but we're going to keep doing small groups as well. Harvest, I just, we want to be this, don't we? We want to be this. But Doug, that was Acts 2, and this is now. I just want to toss this out. If I have my theology correct, they were regular Indiana-like people like us. They're regular people, right? They're regular St. Vincent Island people as well, right? Regular people. If I have my theology right, they had the same Godhead that we have today with the Father and the Son and the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit just like we have today. We have the same gospel with the same forgiveness. And we have the same call. So why can't that be us today? Why can't that be us, the kind of people who are just seeing God do a marvelous work? And I want to say this, God is in so many ways. God is. I mean, we are seeing people redeemed we are seeing lives changed. We are seeing whole families changed here. We're seeing real discipleship occur, occur like so many have never been engaged with before in their past. 
I've had people come and tell me, I've been involved in church ministry for 20 plus years, and yet I've never done ministry on a life-on-life, side-by-side basis like here. That's discipleship. But I read Acts chapter 2, and I see God's people ignited by God, and I ask myself, and I ask us, and I go, are we just satisfied? Seriously, God's people. Do we believe it? But not really believe it. Is our God too small? 